Tonight, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Psalms 136. And Lord willing, we'll be able to cover a few chapters here. And Psalm 136 is what's called the antiphonal psalm. Can you guys say that? Antiphonal? I think that's pronounced correctly. I looked it up on Google. But it is one of those psalms where one person would say something or maybe one choir and then the other choir would respond. Some say maybe the priest would say one word and then the congregation would respond. Hold on just a second. And so we should try that, huh? You guys remember when you used to do that back in the day? Look at Psalm 136. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. See, that's how it works. And I won't make you guys do that. But um, obviously the emphasis on this psalm is going to be the mercy of God. And I hope and pray that we're ready for this because it's such an awesome uh, concept. You know, sometimes we're going to see basically what what, what this psalm is, is kind of like the basics of the, the Jewish history. And just how God has, you know, made everything through creation and then you have redemption and then you have direction. And so when you look at the, the history of the Jews, you know, you kind of like, you know, teaching your children the history of the Jews, what God has done, it's all based on his mercy. And it's very important for us to understand that, you know, because sometimes we think, well, the Lord is going to move in my life in such an awesome way because I read, you know, 17 chapters today. Uh, the Lord did this in my life because I prayed for an hour. The Lord did this in my life because, and then you you know, you fill in the gaps, you know, because whatever, you gave a thousand dollars. Praise God for those things. Hopefully all those things are are just us seeking God. I want to know him. I I love him. I thank him for dying for me. But, But the reason he moves in such mighty ways is because his mercy endures forever. And it's important for us to understand that as we go through this psalm, uh, I think that a lot of times people struggle with that because, you know, they feel like, I, why even try? I'm not good enough. And God says, well, let me decide who does what. You just seek me and I'll take care of the rest. You know, the, something I found interesting is almost every other translation of the Bible renders the Hebrew word uh, kased, which we have here as mercy, Almost every other translation in the Bible uses the word love or loyal love or loving kindness or faithful love. It has a lot to do with love. The Hebrew word is actually a derivative of another word, uh, kasad, which in the positive light, it means uh, to be good and, and to be kind. And what we find is that God has been merciful to us because he is so good and his loyal love and caring kindness really are as high as the heavens, right? Psalm 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Psalms 103, verse 10, it says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. How many of you here would feel like maybe you'd be in trouble if God gave you what you deserved? We wouldn't be usable. I wouldn't be in ministry. I wouldn't be alive. 
I'd be in hell. If God gave me what I deserve, but he has not dealt with us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And so uh, in looking at this Hebrew word right here, we discover that God is merciful, not because of some judge who is bound by the law. No, he's merciful because he's good and gracious, bound by his love. And, and basically, in looking at this, we should always be grateful for that. And so, notice again there in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And at the end of the psalm, we're going to see the same thing. Give thanks to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you so much that you have not you know, given me what I deserve. Thank you, God, that you are so Good. Notice there in verse two, we'll give thanks to the to the God of gods for his mercy endures forever. We'll give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy endures forever. And so the God of gods, obviously, uh, there is no other God. We saw that last week in Psalm 135, 15 through 16, that the idols are lifeless, they're mute, they can't see, they can't move, they can't speak, they're 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 not they're not real, right? We serve the living God. The Bible teaches that straight out. There is no other God. Just in case you're here and you have friends and, you know, they say, well, we we serve Allah or we serve Buddha or we serve Krishna, whatever. They have these other so-called gods. No, they're not real. Our God is the living God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God that we see in the scriptures. There is no other God. This is the God of gods. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 4, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one, right? And the Bible says this over and over again. Malachi chapter two, verse 10, that there's only one God who's made us all. And we see that in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And there are many other references to the fact that there's only one God. And so we know who to give thanks to, huh? That this God of the Bible who's so good and whose mercy endures for two solid years. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am just so grateful that his mercy endures forever. You know, I'm 53 years old now. Since the day I was born, God's been merciful to me. Since before I was born, when I was in my mother's womb, God's been merciful to me. And, you know, I've been a Christian, I don't know, 30-some uh, years and you might think, well, Manny, I'm sure that as you're a Christian that now you don't need as much mercy. You know, I don't know about that. You know, hopefully as you grow as a Christian, you don't, you know, do all the crazy things you used to do before you were a Christian. But I don't know. I mean, some would say, well, you, Christians aren't sinless. They just eventually sin less. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Because you want to know something? The more you know, the more you're accountable. And so as you're growing and you're learning more in the word, I don't know how all that works, you guys. I just cast myself on his mercy. Not a day has gone by in my life where I haven't sinned. And I've been a Christian for a long time and I'm a pastor and I'm blessed and I have people praying for me. But it's not because I have it all together. It's not because I'm righteous that God moves and does miracles in my life and hopefully through my life. It's got nothing to do with my righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6 says, my righteousness is filthy rags. I have nothing. I bring nothing to the table. The only good thing in any of us is Jesus. 
And so what we find right here is, man, the Lord says you need to know about this mercy and you need to thank God, the one God who is the God of gods. You know, something I thought that was interesting is here in verse three, this phrase, the Lord of lords. Now, that's an interesting phrase found only five times in the Bible, two times, only two times in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, it says, for the Lord your God is God, the God of gods, and and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. And so you guys know this. If you don't, you should. When it has capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, when it's in all caps, that is the covenant name of Almighty God. That's Yahweh or Jehovah. It's a tetragrammaton. This is God's name, the Almighty God. And so he's the God of gods. It says right there, he's the Lord of lords, right? Clearly a reference to Almighty God. The passage here in Psalms and Deuteronomy are speaking of Yahweh, right? The God of gods, the Lord of lords. But it's interesting, like I said, only found five times in the Bible, twice in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the Lord of lords is mentioned in 1 Timothy 6.15. And then over in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 14, where it says, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords. So who's the Lord of lords? Jesus. Almighty God. I mean, there can't be two Lord of lords. right? He's the Lord of lords. Uh, He's the King of kings. And it's so cool. We read in Revelation 19, 16, he has a tattoo. It says, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so, you know, give thanks to him. You guys worship him for he is God of gods, Lord of Lords. First, he kind of starts off with thank God for who he is. But then he gets into thank God for what he's done. Now, not that this is necessarily the important factor, but when you read the Bible, um, it talks about praising God more for what he's done than for who he is. But I know that that's only because he's done so much for us. He has done so much for us. You know, what we we see, first of all, is is what he's done for us as as the creator. Look at verse 4. It says, to him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night. That's his nightlight, right? For his mercy endures forever. You know, thank God for his mercy. He he made all this for his glory and for our good. It's amazing how God made this for us. You know, and he's just a merciful God. You know, we see there in verse four that he didn't have any help. He doesn't need any help. It says to him who alone does great wonders. You know, by by wisdom, he made the heavens. Other translations say it was his understanding or his skill in which he did it. And and I know that it's overwhelmingly impressive impressive to us. But but every day, 
It's an act of his mercy. You know, yesterday we were on the 10 freeway. We were heading towards Hollywood. And we just saw the beautiful, beautiful sunset along the way. When was the last time you just had the, the opportunity just to chillax and see a sunset? Anyone here? Has it been, you've been doing that lately? It's kind of cool, huh? I mean, it's just an act of his mercy. I, I tell you guys this, how I'm kind of weird, but for whatever reason, I, every day I wake up in the morning, I say, thank you, Lord, that the sun is shining, that the world is spinning. Thank you, God. My heart is beating, the air I'm breathing, the birds are singing, all that is an act of, of mercy. And you know what's interesting, and I'll just say this, because some people say, well, if you say it over and over again, it doesn't mean anything. I'm sure that eventually they ended up like a religious group of people that said, his mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever. You know what? It's what you put into it. You can say that with, with faith every single time you say it, if you want to. Today I was trying my best to stand in the gap for some people who I know are going through tremendous trials. And I had it in my heart today just to say their name over and over and over again and over again and bringing it to the Lord. And even though I was repeating myself, I was saying it every single time with all my heart. We can do this. And what we see every day is a testimony of God's glory and God's mercy but we just have to lift up our eyes and open our hearts and see it for what it is, how God made this. You know, we can live in this place called earth and under the heavens. You know, it's interesting. You know, by wisdom, he made the heavens. And when you read the Bible, there are actually three heavens, according to Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. And so we have the first heaven, which is the sky where the birds fly and the atmosphere around the earth. That's the first heaven. The third heaven is where God lives, but the second heaven is outer space. And it's so vast and beyond our ability to comprehensively calculate, but it's worth uh, the attempt. You know, they say in our Milky Way galaxy alone, there are 100 billion stars. And yet this number is probably more like 150 billion stars, according to space.com. You can go online, you can look up all this stuff. You know, and, and he says right here, to him who alone does great wonders, his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. And this is so cool. I don't know if you guys ever studied uh, uh, this whole thing, but they say that where we are in the Milky Way galaxy, it would be like kind of like being on a window seat in an airplane. Any of you guys like window seats in the airplane? I do because you can sleep easier right there. <laughs> but also it's because you can see outside, huh? You get to see the, especially when you're you know, flying over things, not just the ocean, but whatever things that are visible. And, uh, and so if we were anywhere else in the Milky Way galaxy, we wouldn't be able to see beyond our galaxy. We wouldn't be able to see outside. But because of where God places us, it's like a cinnamon roll. We're right there on the edge we can see out into outer space. And now God's given us not just telescopes that we put on top of mountains, although that was cool. They say that was very limited because of the atmosphere and trying to break through. Now we have a Hubble telescope that is a satellite that circles the earth that can see way, way out there. 
And so all that is to say that we're able to discover all these things. And it just tells us about this God who made all this heaven. And he died for us. I mean, this is something that's supposed to hit home. I mean, the more you learn of science, the more you learn of uh, what you see in the microscope, or the more what you see in the telescope, you, the more you see how awesome God is. You know, I'm sure you guys know that these galaxies are, are, are pretty big. There's, a, there's probably 150 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone, and there are probably 100 billion galaxies. Think about that out there. They, they say that the Milky Way galaxy is at least 100,000 light years wide. And so that means if you were to start on one end of the galaxy and you travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, per second, it would take you 100,000 years to travel just the Milky Way galaxy alone. Think about that. And there are billions, hundreds of billions of galaxies out there. You know, they, they, they say that the stars, and I don't know if you guys knew this, our star is an impressive star, 93 million miles away. The heat hits us in about eight minutes and it feels so good, huh? And you guys are cold and then you go into the sun, you're like, thank you, Lord, <laughs> right? But um, our star is a medium-sized star. There are some that are smaller, but there are many, there are many that are huge. There's a gazillion galaxies, innumerable stars, most of them bigger than ours. There's one star they call it the, the UY Scooty. I think we have a visual, a picture of it. It's 1,700 times larger than the sun. They, they, they measure it by what's called solar radii, how many suns would fit within it. And here you have a visual. Look at how small. You can't even see it. And God spoke this into existence by the power of his word. And he didn't get anyone to help him do it. He did it. He did it all alone. That's what it says right there. See, and and as what this psalm is, and I think that a lot of times, you know, when you look at these psalms, they're teaching their kids. They're, They're teaching their kids through these songs that they're memorizing, through these songs that they're singing, they're learning about the identification of God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, they're looking at, they're learning about the creation of God, and they realize back then they didn't know how big they were, but they saw because there wasn't the pollution that we have. They saw the just the gazillion stars as they looked up, and they knew there was something going on there. Isaiah chapter forty verse twenty six it says, "Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their hosts by number? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. So God made them all. He brings them all out. He knows them all by name and not one of these stars is missing. So does that God owe us anything? I mean, does he owe us Mercy, loyal love, faithful love, loving kindness. No, he doesn't, but he extends it to us every single day of our lives. We're reminded of it every time we feel the warmth of the sun or see its light or the night light of the moon or the the beauty of the stars. As we're going through the psalm, we're reminded that's an act of God's mercy 
towards us. You know, the sun, the moon, the stars. You know, then there's this little speck in space called earth. Notice again what it says there in verse 6. To him who laid out the earth uh, above the waters. Why? Because you're so good? Because I'm so good? No, because his mercy endures forever. You know, this earth uh, is, 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 and I look at it, I think it's big, but man, you know, made and maintained by God with all the water. Scientists tell us there are 326 million trillion gallons of water on earth. That 71% of the earth is water covered. And so, of course, without it, there would be no life. The human body, they say, is on average 60% water. And so, All that to say, these wonders that we're talking about right here. Look again at verse 4. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. You see, we give thanks when we consider his identification, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, his creation, and we're just kind of skimming the surface here. But then we give thanks when we consider his redemption. Because look what we read in verse 10. It says, to him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. And and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. For his mercy endures forever. I don't know. When you become a Christian, when you really are born again, you appreciate creation. You see it differently. You see it for what it is, the handiwork of our our, our creative artist. You just see it differently. And so there's this aspect of identification and creation, but then you begin to look at at this thing called redemption. And there's a couple of things about this, I think, that are so important for us to understand. You know, number one, you know, you look at the, the miracle that God has done in Israel. And if you're just a spectator looking at what God has done in, in Israel, you're blown away. You're blown away. You're like, well, that's a miracle. That proves the existence of God. They're a nation again in 1948. They got pulled out of Egypt with a strong hand. God sent them the plagues. They divided the Red Sea, killed their firstborn, only because the blood was on the doorpost and the lintel. You're just looking at them, and you're like, wow, that's an evidence of the existence of God. But then when you experience it for yourself, you experience it for yourself because you were pulled out of Egypt. Then there's even more evidence for the existence of God. And it's not because either they or we were good. It's because his mercy endures forever. That's why. Now thank God for creation. Thank God for salvation. Let's not forget the details of of the day that we were delivered, the the season we were saved. Just as God took Israel out of Egypt, so he's done the same for us, for all of us. And you guys probably know the story how God brought Israel out of Egypt, right? Most of you guys have seen the cartoon, right? What's your testimony, though? I would love to hear how God saved you. 
Don't forget that day. Don't forget it. That's kind of what he's saying right here. You know, we read the account of Israel's deliverance in Exodus 13 and 14. And then in chapter 15, Moses sang the song, praising God, celebration for their salvation. These songs are sung so that future generations and their children would also see the dividing of the Red Sea. And then in that, the love and faithfulness of God. Listen, God's not fair. He's merciful. If you want God to be fair, then you're going to ask God to be just. And you're not going to be in a good place for that. He's merciful to us. And so Pharaoh and his chariots were drowned there in the Red Sea. And they proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's existence is real and his love is passionate. Because the children of Israel did not deserve to be delivered. It was just an act of God's amazing mercy. And that's how their relationship began And that's how their relationship would continue. And that's even how their relationship would deepen. Sometimes I think Christians think, well, you know, I got started when I got saved, that I was a bad person. And then, uh, you know, when I got saved, I'm just starting off and God showed me mercy. But once you're a Christian for a while, then you better dot every I and cross every T. Or else, you know, you're, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it. God's gonna kick you out. And I'm not saying that we should sin with eyes wide open. All I'm saying is that I don't know if I'm sin less now than I did before. I don't know. Maybe there's some person out there who says, "Well, I know. I'm, you know, Mr. Pharisee. I got it all together. And you know how much I pray and read, and I don't smoke or chew or run with those who do." And and all I say is that maybe now your sin is, is no longer, you, you don't get high or sleep around or, or drink, but you're a prideful man. God, I don't know. I, I don't really try to figure that out, like where I am on the, on the Richter scale of that kind of stuff. I just every day cast myself at the mercy of God. And I see the things that he's made, the creation, and then the new creation, how he delivered me out of Israel, right? Out of, out of Egypt, I'm sorry. And this is how we understand that in the mercy is how it was attained, and that's also how it's maintained. There's something very important in, in life are, are these landmarks of the Lord, these signs of salvation, the, the miracles that God does. The, the children of Israel were always to look back to them that time that they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by the death of the firstborn. Now, if you can capture this for a second, let me just say this. Okay, so you're in the nation of Israel, and God's teaching the nation of Israel. He says, okay, nation of Israel, listen up, listen up. I want you to always look back to the day that I brought you out of Egypt. That is like the sign of all signs. When I killed the firstborn, and you were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So Israel, throughout all those ages, they would always look back to that. And so, you know, that was for the Jews, for the church, for the Christian, it's kind of the same thing. I want you to always remember when you were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by the death of the firstborn. So even if you didn't experience any miracles now, which I know we all do, we'll talk about that in just a second, but even if you didn't, you can always look back to that event, and that was the day when Jesus was nailed to a cross for us. 
They put him in a grave and he rose again. And that's all I need. That's all I need to know. So they look back to that time coming out of Egypt and we look back to that same thing when we see Calvary is then applied to my life and I was saved. You see, just as Christians are always to look back to the cross of Calvary, the blood of the Lamb, the death of the firstborn, and the way it was applied to our lives. You see, the Pharaoh was a symbol of Satan, and by the cross and resurrection of Jesus, the devil and death have been defeated, dethroned. And the thing about it is it's not just a a temporary thing. It says right here that his mercy endures forever. And so let me just say it this way, just kind of maybe uh, categorize it. Number one, uh, thank you, Lord, for your identification. You're the God of gods, you're the Lord of lords. Thank you, God, for your creation. Third thing is thank you, God, for your redemption. Now you're saved. But then the next thing is thank you, God, for your, and we'll just say direction. Direction. Because look what he says next in verse 16. It says, to him who led his people through the wilderness for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck down great kings for his mercy endures forever and slew famous kings for his mercy endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage for his mercy endures forever a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his mercy endures forever. And, and, you know, I don't know how you guys feel. How many of you feel that life as a Christian is like a piece of cake? (laughs) What is it? I never promised you a rose garden, something like that, huh? It's not easy, huh? Even though you're God's child, life is still wild, huh? You're like in this wilderness, man. It's crazy. But God is leading you. Isn't it cool how he led them? It says right there, he led them in through this wilderness. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. He's leading you. Think about that. The the God of the universe, the God who makes those stars that are so huge we can't even calculate or comprehend it. He is the one leading you through the the hard times, through the difficulties, through the battles in this wilderness. You know, it's a wilderness. I don't know the way, where to go, what to say, but I'm grateful, Lord, that I know you're willing to lead me every day, right? And that's what he does. Nehemiah 9, verse 12 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says, Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. And so when they were there in the wilderness for 40 years, during the day they would have this cloudy pillar. It was a kind of glory of God. And he would lead them wherever they needed to go. And at night even, sometimes they had to move at night. And it was this pillar of fire. And just as God led them, God leads you. And that's so cool. All you have to do is do what Jesus said. Follow me. That's how life works as a Christian. That's why it's not a religion. It's a relationship. You have to have this personal relationship with Christ. God would lead them. And then there would be other landmarks in their life as a nation. Uh, He mentions uh, in verse 
18, notice, and he slew famous kings. So they had even famous people back then, man. Ah, that guy, he's a crazy king. You know, I don't know how tall he was. It may be 13 feet tall. I mean, that's huge. 9 to 13 feet tall, and, you know, he's the king. And then we have Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Ah, king of, of Bashan. And what you find basically is as the children of Israel were going through, these guys came against the children of Israel, and God just just knocked them down. God defeated these kings. They were giants. They were great. And and what you find is this. As you read through the Bible, these guys, if you read your Bible, you know this. They're repeated over and over and over again. Sihon, Og, Sihon, Og, you're Sihon, Og. You're like, man, wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. David is only found six times. I mean, I'm sorry, Goliath is only found six times. So here's a giant that David defeated. He's only found six times Goliath. These guys are found 67 times. Why are they repeated so much? And, and the reason is because God did a miracle there. God did a miracle there. Don't forget. Don't forget. And that's why when, as you're going through life and, and God does these miracles... God doesn't want us to forget. You know, this building right here is a miracle. The church and the things that happened, I know growing up to that, this full-on, straight-out miracles. You know, the city told us, don't even apply for this building. We've never done it. We're not going to give it to you. Don't waste your $1,700. And we're just a you know tiny church, and that's pretty much all we had in the bank. And I just remember spending time with the Lord, and God said, even though the whole city is telling you not to do it, I want you to do it anyways. And then eventually what ended up happening, the city, I don't know how it happened. They took a vote. I thought for sure we were going to lose, but we won unanimously. What that is to me is God killing, uh, you know, one of these kings, the king of the Amorites. And I'll never forget that. So now there's a building over there. And I was talking to the guy today. And I don't know, it's huge. It's four times the price of this building. But, you know, we're going to go look at it. And so we'll see what the Lord does. When I'm reading through my Bible, the Lord told me, he said, wherever you place the sole of your feet, I'll give you. God, you can do it. You've done it before. If that's not the place where you want us, that's fine. You got something better. But see, that's the way it works. I mean, I mean, I know we can't afford it, but we've always taken a step of faith to where we really can afford it. And not, not times that's where God shows up. Now, I, I know for some of you here, maybe that's not the best counsel in the world, but I'm just saying that you have to be led by the Lord because he, he defeated this king and that king you know, Og and, and these guys, Sihon. And so you never forget. I'll never forget the day I was saved. I will never forget that day. And then you see these miracles, answered prayers, and I can just tell you so many things. That's what God is doing right here. As he's sharing the landmarks of their life and the miracles that have taken place. He's saying, I don't want you guys to forget that it's all because of the fact that his mercy endures forever. Now he closes there in verse 23. Who, who remembered us in our lowly state for his mercy endures forever and rescued us from our enemies for his mercy endures forever. 
who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. And then he ends the way that he started. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. God is merciful. And that doesn't mean he doesn't discipline us, because he does, huh? Amen? So here they are, and you guys know the history of the children of Israel because they continued an insistent, persistent, consistent, resistant sin. God eventually had to judge them. He judged the northern kingdom through the Assyrians and then the southern kingdom through the Babylonians. And in 586 BC, there were three sieges. They surrounded Jerusalem. They, 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 they brought them to a point where they were eating their own children. And then eventually the Babylonians conquered them. They ripped the pregnant women open. They took out their babies. They dashed their children against the rocks. And God sent them to Babylon. But there in Babylon, all the odds were against them. Being disciplined like that, a lot of people would think, well, they're not going to make it through. And we know that it says right here that in their lowly state, he remembered them. There's a big difference when you're a Christian. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to go through hard times. And sometimes it's because of our sin, but he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he'll remember you. That's what he did with Israel. He remembered them in their lowly state and he brought them out. He rescued them from their enemies, not because they were great, not because they had it all together. As a matter of fact, I think the better grip you get on grace, the better life you'll have. The burden will be lifted. Lord, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do the best that I can to follow you. But I know that my life is not determined on my righteousness because I really don't have any. When you understand grace and when you understand mercy, it's then that God begins to move in a mighty way. And that's what happens here. He rescued them. And, you know, God had brought them low, but the reason he brought them low is so that they would draw near and so that they would look up. And that's one thing I noticed, too, just as a quick side note about trials. I hate trials. I hate it, you know, when whatever my kids are going to go through things and there's going to be struggles in all of our life. I wish it weren't so. I wish... You know that that didn't happen, but we live in a fallen world, fallen bodies fighting fallen angels. We're going to go through crazy trials. But remember this, that God is doing a lot of different things in that trial. One of the things he's doing is he's drawing you to him. And, you know, he'll bring you there. He'll eventually get you there. If you're not there yet, he's going to get you there to where you become a man or woman in prayer, to where you become an individual that sees God with all your heart, to where you start fasting because you are so desperate for God to move. And that's why we were there in in the lowly state. You know, God remembers us there. Against all odds, even though they were in bondage in Babylon, God set them free There was life beyond captivity. He remembered them. He did not forget them and he will never forget you. Remember that. Isaiah 49, 15 through 16, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Now, I know moms. Moms are amazing. You know, they're not, you put his dads to shame most of the time, except for Anthony, he's different. But, 
you know, <laughs> rich. But, you know, I'm just saying, man, it's amazing to me the love that a mom has for a child. She'll never forget her child. She'll never forget them. The Lord says right here, maybe there might be a mom out there. Isaiah 49, 15 through 16. Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And what God is saying is, I know life is wild in the wilderness, but we need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he remembers and he will rescue his people. You know, in the end, we see there in verse 25 that God is merciful to all. He gives food to all flesh. God is loyal in his love and kind as our creator and redeemer of all people. And why is that? Because he wants all men to be saved. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.4, and therefore he gave himself a ransom for all. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. And so in closing in this psalm, I encourage you to do what it says, and that is give thanks for what he's done, for who he is, for what he's doing, and give thanks for what he is going to do for you. You know, how's he going to do it? You're the miracle that you need God in to show up. How's he going to do it? You know, how's he going to do it? When's he going to do it? How many of you think, want, like right now? <laughs> How's he going to do it? When's he going to do it? I don't know. I just know that as God's people, we live by promises, not explanations. As a matter of fact, a lot of times if you can explain it, God didn't do it. Let God show up. Thank God for who he is, for what he's done. Thank God for his mercy in our life and his grace. Now, I read a story about a little boy who asked his mom to make him a peanut butter sandwich, but he didn't ask all that nicely. And so, you know, he asked his mom, he was a little pushy, a little demanding, but his mother had been reading about the mercy of God. And so she looked the other way, so to speak, and she loved him, covered the wrong done to her by her son, and she made him the sandwich. It turns out when the little boy took a bite of the sandwich, he was kind of given a double dose of conviction and appreciation. He said, Mama, I asked you for a peanut butter sandwich, and I didn't ask all that nice. I'm sorry, but you put jelly on it. Wow, Mom. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. We don't deserve it, huh? We don't deserve the peanut butter sandwich. But it's amazing to me how God not only gives us the peanut butter sandwich, but he puts the bananas and the honey on it too. <laughs> if you never tried one of those, I encourage you to try. Those are so good, right? And so um, Psalm 137. Let's see if we can go through these two psalms real quick. They're, they're so good. But notice what we read here in verse one. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Now, obviously, this is a psalm written uh, from the bondage of Babylon. Remember, we talked a little bit about that, how the children of Israel were in captivity. 
Think about it for 70 years. You know, you think you've been going through a trial for a while. They were there for 70 years. So imagine there you're, you're there as a Jew held captive and your captors demand a song from you. And not just any song. They want a, they want a joyful hymn. It says right here that those who plundered us requested mirth. And that means that this is something that would amuse them, especially expressed in laughter. So they're telling the guys, sing us a joyful song. Sing us a song of, of joy. But, but these guys, they, they couldn't do it. On the contrary, they wept. They, they put away their harps, hanging them, it says right there, on the willows. Any of you guys ever seen a willow tree? Pastor Chuck was saying this is probably where they got the name willow tree. Not necessarily that it was a tree, but just the concept of it. And so that, that was where, where they were. You know, and, and so some might ask, well, well, wait a minute, Manny. Doesn't God give us songs in the night? Don't we praise him uh, even when we're in the valleys? And didn't Paul and Silas sing while they were in the bottom of the dungeon? Why, is, why aren't they able to sing songs in a foreign land? And I think the reason is twofold. Number one, because their captors were telling them to do it like at a performance. You know, like superficially. And thank God they didn't do it that way. Thank God that, you know, when worship leaders don't do it that way. You know, but I, but I think another reason is because they knew they were somewhere they didn't really belong. And right now, as they're grappling with this whole thing, they were just saying, I want to get back to where I belong. I want to get back to Jerusalem. I want to get back to a right relationship with God. You know, and these guys, so it's, there's a lot to it, but, you know, they're like, we're not going to sing songs. How can we sing songs? We're going to put our harps up right here. He even goes on to say, we're not going to, we're going to let, let our you know, mouth stay shut until we get back to Jerusalem. And I love the resolve there. Notice what they say next. It says in verse five, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. No, may my right hand be crippled. May I forget how to play the harp or, or guitar. I'll never speak, much less sing, if I don't get back to where I belong. I don't belong here. You know, and it's so cool sometimes when a person can even say that in their own walk. They're like, I'm not where I should be. Lord, I'm not going to, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to get back into that right relationship with you. You know, to back, back to my first love. Jerusalem to the Jew is, is so beautiful. Again, I was reading Pastor Chuck on this and he talks about not just to the Jew, but to the Christians, how so many times he would take uh, tours, you know, and we did it a couple of times too, and you know, you, you're driving in the bus, and then eventually you go over the hill, and then finally uh, Jerusalem is visible to you, and he was talking about how so many times people weep when they finally see Jerusalem. Something about it is in our hearts. Even today, the Orthodox Jews they believe that any of the Jews living in Tel Aviv, that, that they're in sin. <laughs> you know, because in one sense, Tel Aviv was a competitor to being the capital of Israel. No, it's Jerusalem. And so they were saying, hey, we need to get back to where we belong. 
If I forget you, Jerusalem, man, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to play. And so he, he prays because these guys are, are, these Babylonian captors, they're, they're not cool. And he prays in verse seven. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. How many of you are like, yes, I like that. What is he asking for right there? He wants vengeance on the Edomites and the Babylonians. You know, the Edomites apparently were there on the side when the Babylonians were ravishing the women of Jerusalem and doing all the things that they did, killing anybody that they didn't consider to be someone that they could take uh, away as uh, profitable to be a slave. And, and so it, crazy that the Edomites had that, that the Babylonians did what they did. But Jeremiah predicted that they would be judged. And so these guys right here are, are, are saying, Lord, bring vengeance. You know, we know the Medo-Persians would eventually conquer Babylon. The Jews knew it based on the prophecies of Jeremiah and others, but it's really a tough place to be. Um, you guys have heard this uh, title in precatory psalms. You know, so like someone does you wrong and you just, Lord, I just want them dead. Kind of like, sometimes, you know, you feel that way, huh? If you're just being honest with God, God knows it. I'm not saying you should necessarily articulate it, but maybe you should between you and the Lord. But, but I do know this, that even though this is maybe uh, something expressed honestly, it's not Christ-like Christianity, huh? Because now we have New Testament light and you read Matthew 5, 38 through 48, and Jesus says we're not supposed to do this. And so real quick, Psalm 138, it's a Psalm of David. He says, I will praise you with my whole heart before the gods. I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. And so now we get into some Psalms of David as we begin to close the Psalms now. And it's kind of cool, really, really neat Psalms of David. And he, of all people, I love the fact that he's the one that says, I'm going to praise you with my whole heart because David, according to Acts 13, 22, had a heart after God's own heart. It wasn't divided. It was all in. Lord, I, I, my whole heart is, is yours. Now, we don't know when David wrote this. Uh, I was listening to one study and they were saying it's probably when Nathan told him he couldn't build the temple. If I had to guess, I would say it's probably when David was on the run because when David was on the run, he had this plan, this promise that God was going to do this with his life. But it just didn't, he couldn't see it. But he had faith in it, right? And, and real quick, for all of you here, every single one of you here, God has this amazing plan for your life. And you have to make sure that you get encouraged by this psalm because I love the way that it all went down with David, right? In verse three, it says, In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you. 
O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. You know, I love the way that we we see this whole thing unfold. Um, You know, just how God, he even says there in verse 2 that he magnifies his word above his name. I was thinking about you guys coming tonight, you know, and I know we're, we're almost done here, so hang in, hang in there just for a second. Um, how, how beautiful it is that you came tonight, you know? I don't know all everyone's motive here, but if you came because you're seeking God, if you came because I want to study the Bible, that's awesome. Because when you feed your faith, then you starve your doubts. And I've learned this over the years that all those people that... Like you're going to see it. Sometimes they're your children. Sometimes there are other people, your friends. You know, you used to sit next to them. Now they're not sitting there anymore. Now they're not coming to church at, anymore at all. And a lot of times it's because they're not in the Word. They're not in the Word. And, and so to see you in the Word is so huge. Remember Psalm 1? That guy is there day and night. He's in the Word. He's planted by the rivers of water. Whatever he does is prosperous. His leaves are green. And man, he brings forth its fruit in its season. Why? Because he's in the word. And that's why God magnified his word above his name. Now that's a huge thing because the Jews didn't even say his name. They wouldn't even say his name because his name's so holy. We don't even know how to pronounce God's name because they would take the Hebrew consonants, the four consonants, but they wouldn't put the the Hebrew vowel sounds in there because they didn't want anyone to say his name because they might say it in vain and bring sin upon the people and judgment. And so his name was reverence. His name was so holy, but now he magnifies his word above his name. And that's why it's so important for us, you guys, to continue to seek the Lord in his word. You know, David here, it says, verse three, he answers prayer. God does that immediately, saying yes, no, or wait, but God hears our cries. And I love the way it says in verse four that all the kings of the earth would praise him because David had a big vision to share the Lord. That was his heart, same heart as God. And so here we see the Lord, he's on high, but he regards the lowly, that's us, and he stiff arms the proud. You know, and I think that's part of the reason why David became the king of Israel, because he was willing to be a little shepherd there amongst the sheep and be faithful there. In that setting, he killed a bear, he killed a lion. God isn't looking for the big, tall Saul, the guy who's proud. No, he wants the humble, the lowly. And so we close in verse seven. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. So beautiful, huh? The faith, isn't that beautiful? The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And when I see this right here, I can't help but think of God's plans for David's life. And think about it. Maybe he's on the run from Saul and he's going through some difficult times. It says there in verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, God, you're going to revive me. You will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand will 
save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. And this last verse right here, believe it or not, is probably my favorite verse of the whole night. Maybe I shouldn't say things like that, but do you see that what that verse says? The NLT says it this way, the Lord will work out his plans for my life for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. And then he prays, don't abandon me for you made me. And I tell you what, when we're going through difficulties, to me, that's a beautiful prayer to pray. It's a proclamation of faith. I know, God, you're going to perfect that which concerns me. I know, God, you're going to work out your plans for my life. And Lord, here I am. I'm praying. And as you do that, I think God sees. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And when you look at David, God finished the work, huh? It's beautiful when you look at his life. And I know you're in the middle of it. And I know you're struggling. And I know sometimes we can't see the whole plan. But I pray you be encouraged to know that he's doing the same thing for you. But we got to make sure we don't um, take this mercy lightly. Let me close real quick with a story that Tony Evans shared True story. Uh, you guys know who Pastor Tony Evans is? No? Okay. Two of you, I think. Tony Evans was talking about one day he was uh, driving and he was doing ministry and he was in a hurry and so he was speeding. And so he got pulled over by a police officer and the police officer was about to give him a ticket but then he found out it was a pastor and so he said, you know what? I'm going to show you mercy. I'll let you go ahead and go your way. Just drive carefully. So Tony Evans took off and he thought, well, I just got rid of the closest cop, uh, I think, in the vicinity. And so once the coast was clear, he started stepping on the gas again. (laughs) And he was speeding again. And so he thought he was out of harm's way, but turns out that another police officer pulled him over. The police officer started talking to him. And again, it seemed like the same dialogue was taking place. And he was just about to let him go and show him mercy again. Until, guess what happened? The first police officer showed up. (laughs) And he said, you know what your problem was? You didn't appreciate the mercy that I showed you. And I'm not saying that the day will come where you're going to run out of mercy and whatever that kind of stuff. But I am saying this, that when you appreciate the mercy of God in your life, it's a different life. It's a blessable life, and God will do great work.